Okay, so right off the bat, man, there's been a lot of new research coming out um, about the effect that mushrooms are actually having on anxiety mm-hmm. patients and relieving it. Um, yeah. Have you actually, have you been, are you up on that at all? Have you been reading about it? Oh, yeah. I tend to keep track of various news stories and things that are coming out uh, regarding psychedelics and, and looking at all that. Yeah. Oh, okay, because they were saying that mushrooms um, in cancer patients that are near death um, one study, like one um, administration of the psilocybin can actually cure the, the symptoms associated with the anxiety. Yes. Um, I, I, one of the most interesting things is I can't find a lot of research about why that is. I mean, they're they're seeing that it is, it's spiritual experiences and they change their philosophies, but I'm not really seeing an explanation as to why they think that is. What, are, what is your take on that? What do you think is actually causing them to be like, oh, it's not so bad after all? <laughs> well, I think that that's a, a natural conclusion that someone could come to when they do this kind of work. But I think the most important thing is that it's it's the setting in which they're administering the psilocybin. So um, I think that that's really where the big emphasis is, that it's being done in a therapeutic context. So generally what's being done in these kinds of studies is someone is being given psilocybin and they're in a room that's very comfortable. They have like a couch or a bed to lie down on. I mm-hmm. think they're often given um, blindfolds um, and given some headphones and um, a playlist of music that it has been carefully curated um, to help move people through the experience in a positive way. And so what's happening here is that people are being given an opportunity to really go inside of themselves and go inside of their experience. And it's it's not like a talk therapy session where, okay, well, let's talk about your problems and talk about your anxiety, but it's it's here. You're going to take some psilocybin, and for the next five hours, you're just going to lie on this couch. You're not expected to interact with anyone. You're not expected to do anything. You're not looking around. You're not wandering around, and you're just going inside of yourself and inside of your experience, and that's what allows the deeper meaning and the deeper insights to unfold. You know, And this is in contrast to, say, Someone going for uh, like a shamanic session yeah, yeah. with with mushrooms where generally there's a lot of activity. There's rituals that people are involved in. There's prayers that are being done. There's rules and regulations that are in place, for example. Um, and that's not necessarily the most ideal time to be going deep within. And also, obviously, in contrast with, say, taking mushrooms and going on a hike or going mm-hmm. to a concert or doing doing something social, you know. Um, mushrooms are one of these interesting medicines where you definitely can engage at a social level. I mean, if, it, if the dose isn't, you know, too yeah, tremendous, you know, so, 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 yeah, sometimes it's just like, okay, I'm, I'm checking out <laughs> for the next few hours, but it is something that you can consume and engage in social activities or, you know, sometimes people like to eat mushrooms and watch the matrix or something mm-hmm. like that. So, so you can do those kinds of things. Um, but there it tends to be a lot of, um, exospection, you know, where you're looking at things outside rather than looking inside. And that can be very entertaining. It can be very wonderful. You can have deep insights, you know. I mean, personally, uh, something I've always enjoyed doing is taking some mushrooms and wandering around Burning Man and looking at the art (laughs) because it's just, it's amazing and it's a lot of fun. But it's very, very different if you don't have any external distractions and there's no expectations on you to engage with others socially. Mm -hmm. Um, this becomes a time period 
where your focus goes inward, and especially with mushrooms being a visionary medicine, you know, not all psychedelics have a strong visual quality to them, yeah, but mushrooms yeah. certainly do, where then these visions open up within your mind, and it's so much more than simply looking at something. And this is, you know, a big difference now where, where we have um, computer-generated imagery. Like a lot of people have been talking recently about with um, Doctor Strange. Like, oh, man, that Doctor yeah. Strange, that, that, <laughs> that is so DMT. And, and it's true. It is very similar visually to the DMT experience. Now, the difference is that you're not just seeing these things, but you're feeling them and experiencing them directly within this internal state. So it's it's not just a visual phenomenon, but it's also an, a personal energetic phenomenon where you know, you're seeing all this amazing geometry or these scenes unfold out before you mm -hmm. and you feel it as well. And there and it has psychological and emotional resonance for you as this is unfolding. So it's not just an act of viewing, it's also an act of being that at the yeah. same time. And so when people are given this opportunity to really just go within themselves and just to focus on their experience as it's unfolding in that state, that's where deeper and deeper layers of the self can become unraveled and deeper and deeper truths can be revealed. And, and as you know, my position is that all of us are God, that mm -hmm. that's our true identity, that's our true nature. And so as the layers of the ego peel away, peel away, and someone keeps going on their journey and getting deeper and deeper, that if they follow that through all the way to the end, or what I would more accurately describe as the center, yeah. it's natural for people to come to a place of peace and resolution, because the, the, the recognition ultimately is that, oh, I'm God, we're all God. Mm -hmm. My personal life and death is is meaningful to me, but it's not it's not a personal issue in a sense. It's kind of depersonalizing the person mm -hmm. because then there's this realization that, well, it's all just this big experience of love and, and I don't need to be afraid of death. I mean, people are afraid of dying because yeah. they don't know what's coming next. And that's something that that's one of the biggest things that aggravates the ego because the ego wants to have a sense that it's under control, that it's able to manage its reality and manage itself. And so it always wants to know, well, what's going to come next and how am I going to manage that? But then the event of death is the biggest unknown we could ever possibly face. So that's something that gives the ego a great deal amount of anxiety. And we can see that the majority of religious traditions are actually speaking to this anxiety. Yeah. Trying to give people a pathway and beliefs and things that they can hold on to to give them a sense of resolution about their impending death. Um, but the, the psychedelic experience, in a sense, gives us direct access to the death state, especially when there is this event of ego death mm -hmm. um, that occurs within the psychedelic state where the, our sense of personhood falls away. And then we realize, well, actually, there's this eternal being that's lying underneath this. So my own personal death really is not that big an issue. And so that's where the peace and resolution comes from. It's from encountering and confronting the event of death in the psychedelic experience. And that's where it's so profoundly transformative. Before you actually uh, begin experimenting with psychedelics, did you have any anxieties related to your own um, death and, you know, what the afterlife and, and things of that sort? 
Well, I certainly had questions. I mean, ever since I was a little kid, um, you know, I grew up in a completely secular, yeah. pretty much atheist household. And I always thought religion was very curious. And I thought the, the experience of death was really curious and kind of developed this view that, well, I think it's probably just like dreamless sleep, that there really isn't anything there, that it's just yeah. <laughs> it's just the, the end. Um, but also, even as a small child, I kind of felt like, you know, I've always been uh, interested in pursuit of truth and what is the true nature of being, what is the true nature of reality, even as a small child. And so I kind of developed this belief as a child that, well, when I die, I'll find out, you know. <laughs> so I, it wasn't like, well, I'm going to turn to religion now to to kind of give me answers. Or, but it's just like, well, when I die, you know, I'll, I'll either find out that it's nothing or it's something. And if it's something, then, you know, that will resolve my, my questions about it. So I kind of put it in my mind that, um, you know, uh, I won't know during my lifetime. But when I die, you know, that, that, then, then I'll figure it out. But I didn't really have anxiety about it. Like I remember also as, as a little kid, um, I have a sister who's one year older than me and I, I can distinctly remember the day mm -hmm. when, for whatever reason, my, my sister was first getting a grip on death, mm -hmm. that she first understanding that people die and then they're gone. And I just remember my sister just crying and <laughs> crying and crying. She was devastated yeah. by the thought. And whereas I was, I was a little bit excited. I was like, Ooh, well, that's kind of interesting that it's going to be this other state of of being. You know, I, I guess I was a curious little kid in some ways. Because <laughs> I, I actually had a, a similar moment um, when I was younger. I mean, it wasn't um, there was a sort of anxiety. I, I was maybe 10 or 11 years old and I actually started really considering the afterlife and things like that. And I was like, man, what what if none of this matters? What if it what if none of it matters? What if? Um, the the afterlife states that are talked about in religion, but you know the the negative ones, the ones that are associated with punishment. What if those are real? And what if I haven't done what it takes to get into you know uh, the other side, you know heaven or whatever? And um, I remember feeling like a certain type of nausea or anxiety about it as well. And then yeah. as I got older, I mean, I kind of came to the same conclusion that you did of just it's probably dreamless sleep. But then my experiences with psychedelics kind of brought me to what you said, the center. Um, and I started to have this very profound sense of oneness with everything and, you know, feeling like you return when you die. That was the kind of sense that yeah. I had is you don't leave you. You just go back. You know, it's not it was very interesting and hard to explain. I mean, that's why it's so fascinating to me, like to listen to and read these testimonies of these people, because they're like, man, it's I don't care anymore, you know, and to to have a such a deep seated anxiety, something that's always pushed on us from the time that we're born. And then you have these patients who are faced with death and then they take these substances. And now all of a sudden they're just like, you know, I don't really care anymore. It's going to be OK. It's it's profound. It is. It, it's incredibly profound, yeah. especially when you consider um, that there's so much anxiety around death and yeah. destruction. I mean, I would say in American society that it is a very, very deep-seated anxiety mm -hmm. around death and that much of our culture is built around masking death and hiding death and just the the kind of virul virulent forms of evangelical Christianity and, and just the, the views of s such a large portion of the population that there's 
so much fear about death and anxiety over um, pleasing God and doing the right thing and not being a sinner and, and, and all of these things and, and the way that we use our war machine and the way that we, you know, like even how we send our soldiers overseas, but we can't show bodies or yeah. coffins on television that we just, we want to hide it away. We want to deny death. And and even we can look at, at Trump as kind of being an embodiment of this fear of death, this idea yeah. that, that we have to make America great again, that there's some kind of ideal that we have to strive for to regain our sense of being and purpose because the, the old power paradigms are fading away, right? There's a death yeah. that's happening there. And so an attempt to desperately grasp on to our life the way that we want it to be. I mean, all of this is ego fighting, yeah. e fighting, fighting, fighting. And so... When, when we look at that and see that we have huge problems with death in our culture, and if more people could overcome that, then there's less attachment, there's less grasping, there's less of this reactionary tendency that we have within our culture to, you know, oh my God, we've got to get all the Muslims because they're all out to get us and they're all going to kill us. I mean, that's yeah. the way the fear is spread is they're coming to kill us. Mm -hmm as though death is the most horrible thing. And so if we can overcome that, then it loses its power. Yeah. And it, it would shift culture and politics and society in so many ways. So I just think it's it's beautiful that they're doing these studies. It, it's kind of a shame that it's in such a limited context and that we're yeah. still having to try and fight to allow this to be a legal form of therapy. But what a profound gift. I mean, there really isn't, a more significant gift than you could give anyone in this world than overcoming the fear and anxiety around death and helping to reveal to themselves their true nature so that they can relax into that. That that's, that that's our, our birthright as human beings, really, I think. And the fact that, you know, it's wonderful that these studies are being done and that these results are now being published very widely. They're being published in mainstream um, publications, New York Times. I mean, all of these things are, are just fantastic. And so I hope that it's moving us towards the point where these kinds of therapies can become legal. Um, but I still think we have a long way to go, especially now with people like Trump coming into the White House. I think that the, the battle is going to be even more difficult. But I do think that overall, we're moving in the right direction. And I think that the ro results are really profound. And I think it's understandable that people are very curious about, well, how is this? Why is this? And can I experience that for myself? I mean, I, it's a shame. I get emails from people around the world mm -hmm. on an almost daily basis asking me where they can get this kind of therapy. Yeah. And it's it's a shame because mostly I have to tell people, it's like, well, you got to find some underground practitioner. <laughs> and, and, and people are just livid and just destroyed that they can't just go somewhere legitimately and do this kind of work because so many people want it. Um, and even, you know, a lot of the emails that I get from people, a lot of the inquiries are from people who have never had any experience with psychedelics yeah. at all. And people who have mental issues and health issues, and the people are crying out for help. And you know, I wish I had I could just point people to, well, here, yeah. here's a legitimate place that you can go, or here's somewhere you can go. And mostly, I have to tell them, like, I'm sorry, but you're really you're you're on your own. Best of luck. And I think that's a shame. Do you do you think that these um, 
that it's actually necessary for individuals to be in these, you know, uh, research settings or to be with an actual professional or anything, because I've had these same insights um, that they're discussing in the study, uh, in the in the research results. But I've I've never done any psychedelics with a, a practitioner of any kind. I've always just done them alone and in a safe set and setting. Um, do you think it's a requirement that these individuals experience it that way? And have you actually um been involved in any research studies or with any professionals to help you reach these insights? Um, I'll answer the last one first. No, I, I haven't. I haven't involved myself in, in any of these kinds of things. But I would say that the methodology that they're using is basically the methodology that I would use on my own, mm-hmm. where if, if I'm going to take something at least for the first few hours of the experience that generally what I will do is I will just go and lie down on my bed and I will turn the lights off and I would put some headphones on with some music that I want to listen to and I'll spend a few hours just going through that experience and moving whatever energy needs to be moved through that. And then there, for me, there always comes a point of completion where like, okay, that process is done and and the medicine might still be affecting me, but at that point I'll get off the bed and then I'll go and do whatever else I want, but it's important to have that time period. And I, I think that it, it's, it's that model that is really what's effective inside the yeah. therapeutic sessions. Um, but for a lot of people, um, I do think that it's hard for them to have that kind of discipline to, to do that on their own. You know, that I don't think I'm just guessing here, but I don't think that most people take their psychedelics in that kind of context, that it's often done with some kind of social element to them where friends get together and, hey, we're going to take this, or people do ceremony. And I know that people feel that they get a lot out of ceremony, but my own personal opinion on that is that a lot of it is distraction and a lot of it is just pacifying the ego. And so I, I'm, I'm not really hip on the ritual approach to psychedelics and entheogens personally. And, and that's another area where a lot of people are looking to uh, take psychedelics. You know, people want to go down to South America and drink ayahuasca with an ayahuascaro or, you know, they, they, they want to have some kind of ceremony. And here, I think the value of the therapeutic context is that it's, it doesn't have any pretenses towards ceremony. It's mm-hmm. just focusing on making a comfortable environment for people. Um, so I don't think it's necessary, but I do think that it just provides people with a certain mindset that, okay, I'm going into this for therapeutic purposes. And, you know, it's really basic. It's not that hard, but people don't know how to approach that on their own because there aren't a lot of models out there because, you know, basically, as I've been saying, we've got sort of the ritual model and then we have the social model, Mm -hmm. but there's not sort of this in-between model. I mean, the closest would be, say, Terrence McKenna talking about taking five grams of mushrooms in the dark and, (laughs) but even there, he's not approaching it with any kind. He, he, he approached it as he's an explorer yeah. and he's going to explore these realms. Um, but there's no real therapeutic takeaway from the model that he provided there and kind of promoting this idea of being this psychonaut, this explorer, and you're going to discover new things. And his approach always was about focusing on otherness, which mm-hmm. I think is completely missing the target that it's not otherness is the self and so it's about going into the self and that's what the therapeutic approach allows is that you're going in here to encounter your own fear about death you're not looking for machine elves you're not looking for aliens you're not looking for contact with other universes you're 
you're looking to find resolution within yourself. And so that mindset helps point people in the right direction to, to remember to keep coming back to your own anxiety, keep coming back to your own fear. And that's where the positive results come from. And one more thing I'd want to say about this is that, you know, when you're working with mushrooms, um, you probably don't have too much to worry about, but you know, as you kind of, as you move up the scale (laughs) in terms of intensity, like, like it, then it becomes more and more important to actually be working with somebody who knows what they're doing and know how people react. So I think oftentimes, you know, with a, with a moderate dose of psilocybin, I don't think we have a whole lot to worry about. Um, but then if we go to something, say, like salvia divinorum, which yeah. it's kind of hard to use that in a therapeutic context, but, um, you know, YouTube is filled with videos of people who are oh, inexperienced. <laughs> yeah. People who are inexperienced with salvia and they try it. And then these videos of them just freaking out, people crawling out of windows, people breaking stuff, tripping over things. And, you know, so there's there's an instance where it's really important that you be working with that with someone who knows that people react that way yeah. so that they can help you through that experience. And like I was watching this one video where this guy is like want, like tripping all around the room mm-hmm. and he's there with this young woman. And she's like, are you okay? What are you doing? Yeah. Stop it. Stop it. And she's completely reacting in all the wrong ways mm-hmm. to the way that this guy is, is acting, you know, that you need someone there who can help just hold space for that person, help calm them down. Um, not someone who, who's going to pester you with questions like, yeah. are you okay? What's going on? Because the person <laughs> can't answer. And then, you know, because I talk a lot about 5-MeO DMT, I have a lot of people contacting me about, well, where do I get it and how do yeah. I try it? And I always tell people that it's it's crucially important that at least for the first few times that you use it, that you're working with somebody who is familiar with the medicine, who is familiar with how people react to it. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, some people have their first 5-MeO experience and they just open right up and it's mm-hmm. pure love and universal bliss and it's no problem. And then other people, they go through absolute hell yeah. and they fight with it and they thrash about the room and then they're vomiting all over themselves mm-hmm. and and that's not the kind of thing you want to go through on their own oh, especially boy. not with somebody who doesn't know that this actually is a normal reaction then someone else starts freaking out and that's going to escalate your own freak out so in with certainly with some medicines i think it's it's absolutely crucial that you at the very least have someone who's familiar with it and who at who knows these are the variety of reactions what is the range of normal for reaction with this medicine but you know again with psilocybin it's a lot easier that you can give that to someone or something like mdma and the chances that they're going to be able to lie down on a bed for five hours it is pretty good that they can do that whereas if you're working with something like salvia divinorum or 5-meo the chances of them being able to lie down on a bed are very very slim um, for a lot of people. So it, it, it depends on the medicine. Um, and, but to get back directly to the question, it's no, I don't think it's necessary that it be done in a therapist that I think that that's a big issue that I, you know, some people are critical of organizations like maps because they say, well, well, you just want to make it legal for therapists and you want us to be on the couch and you, you, you want to make it so that we have to go 
and take it from somebody who's licensed, whereas we just want to be able to take it on our own and we yeah, don't want yeah. to be criminals in doing that. So I do think that's an important issue. Um, and I don't think that we want to be too one-sided about it, that it must be through a therapist. Uh, but I do think that especially with people who are unfamiliar with psychedelics, because that's, that's a large part of the people who are going to these kinds of therapies or who want these kind of therapies are people who aren't experienced with psychedelics. And they're having people that can walk you through and stay calm. Um, you know, like here's a good example. Uh, last year at the Exploring Psychedelics Conference that I put on here in Ashland, we had um, a fellow who participated in a high-dose psilocybin study. Mm -hmm. And I just thought this was fantastic. They gave him the equivalent of 10 grams of psilocybin mushrooms uh, just through pure psilocybin. Mm -hmm. And so he said that he was, you know, he was talking to the people running the study and he's like, I'm dying, I'm going through hell, this is horrible. And he said that the people there were just telling him, oh good, Good, fantastic. Keep going. Fantastic. And see, that that's where trained professionals can come in versus someone who doesn't know or is like, oh, well, let's change something for you. Let's try and make you feel better. And mm -hmm. that just becomes an appeasement of the ego. Whereas if you can have someone who's cool, calm, and relaxed and just says, fantastic, that's exactly what needs to happen, then rather than trying to avoid the difficult situations, you can actually go into it and that's where it transforms. But as soon as you start trying to run away, then that shit just comes chasing after yeah. you and that's where it gets difficult and negative. Have you actually done any of the uh, like the heroic doses in the McKenna, uh, the, the, using the McKenna model? Have you tried that before? No, not with mushrooms. Okay, just no. with, just with uh, DMT or 5-MeO DMT? Yeah, DMT and 5-MeO. I mean, it, certainly when 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 those launch, I mean, they're just they're so far beyond mushrooms. And <laughs> yeah. and and I would I would just tell you that I really like the mushroom experience. Mm -hmm. I don't actually really enjoy eating mushrooms oh. primarily because towards the latter half of the experience they give me a lot of gas and it's okay. very uncomfortable physically and yeah. so the thought of like taking five grams of mushrooms i just think about it. how much gas would that produce uh, and yeah. you know so it's, it's really uncomfortable for me for that i actually have a preference for four aco dmt which is a you know one of these research chemicals and the value of that is that once it gets into your body, it turns into psilocin. So okay. it becomes becomes a mushroom experience, but you don't actually have to physically eat the mushrooms. And it's just a lot more comfortable for my body that way. Um, but in general, yeah, when, when I'm working with psychedelics, um, especially if it's a visual one, that, yeah, I just like to be in the dark for at least several hours. Like um, recently I had um, someone gave me some dried and prepared San Pedro, which okay. is great. I've had people give me like lots of San Pedro cactuses. <laughs> I have several yeah. like sitting around the house that people just bring me the cactus. And, uh, you know, I'm pretty lazy about it, so I haven't done anything with it. But then someone brought me like a canister of like powdered prepared San Pedro. Mm -hmm. And he said, yeah, just take a spoonful. So I took seven. <laughs> and... It, man, it was fantastic. It lasted like 14 hours. And I spent the first five hours just lying down in the dark. It's just wonderful visuals mm -hmm. opening up and just what a fantastic experience. And then kind of reached the point where it felt like that was done. 
So then I got up and then I ended up in uh, one of the rooms in the house where I have a lot of my art and I was looking, I was like, oh my God, this is so much fun. So I spent, I just went and sat in front of all my pieces of art individually and that took a few hours to do that. And um, then spent the rest of the time watching uh, nature documentaries on uh, in high definition on Netflix, which is, wow, that was, that was a lot of fun. So I did that for the remainder of the night, but I always do try and leave. See, in my experience in working with psychedelics, that it's all about the energy. And in general, there's because, because we're human beings, because we encounter stuff that's difficult or challenging in whatever capacity throughout our days and throughout our life, there's always releases that are accessible through opening up the energy through entheogens. So the first part of any psychedelic experience for me is about processing the energy. And sometimes that can be done just by lying down. And a lot of times I do it through doing these symmetrical, these fluid symmetrical movements mm-hmm. that uh, really it initiated with me through 5-MeO. But doing these movements, usually for a few hours, um, lets things release generally in the form of gagging where suddenly the energy i'll start to feel nauseous and the energy will start to come up and then kind of release through a big gag as i'm doing these movements um so sometimes it's very physical for me it's not just lying there but i usually do that with my eyes closed you know maybe on the living room floor spending a few hours of going through i call it fractal energetic yoga and i do that and then stuff releases and then then there just comes a point where okay it's done and it, for me, it's about seeing it all the way through of finding the point of there's some energies that need to process here. And then once that's done, then the whole thing shifts where suddenly there's a sense of just total relaxation that comes in. And there's no longer that energetic demand that until that point, there's this feeling of there's something to work on, there's something to work on, there's something to work on, something mm-hmm. to work on. And then once it's done, then it's like, ah, okay, well, what do I want to do now? Oh, I want to dance. I'm going to put on some music and I'm going to dance or I'm going to look at some art or I'm going to make some music or, or do something else. And so that's, that's kind of the fun time. But prior to that, there will be some work that needs attend, attending to. And, but once that's done, then, you know, quote, the session is then mm-hmm. over and then you can kind of go about your day. Um, how how similar is uh, the mescaline experience to uh, mushrooms or uh, I'm pretty sure it's not, close to DMT, but how, how similar is it to mushrooms, uh, just, uh, phenomenologically? Yeah, it's overall, I'd say it's very, very similar. It definitely lasts a lot longer, you know, okay. two to three times the length <laughs> and it's a little bit slow coming on. So it can kind of take a while before it really opens up all the way to where you really feel like, okay, we're, we're really going now. Um, but visually, um, it, it's very similar in terms of, you know, highly detailed geometric fractal uh, visual quality, though I, I d- definitely felt, especially as it was first coming on, it was like looking at a San Pedro cactus from the top down, you know, you kind of yeah. get this nice um, round symmetry and it was kind of unfolding and unfolding. And so the, the, my first thought was like, wow, this looks really cactusy, <laughs> you know, that it, it just had that cactus feel to it. But then, you know, it opened up into, you know, lots of mandalas, you know, kaleidoscopic, um, lots of pretty lights and lines of energy and circuitry. That's, that's a common theme 
for me on psychedelics is kind of like high tech computer circuitry and, and things like that. Um, and then later with eyes open, I mean, like looking, it was just so much fun looking at my art on the walls because it's just completely immersive where the art just comes is three dimensional and it fills the entire room with these fractal shapes. I mean, so it was, in that sense, it was very, very similar to mushrooms, but you know, still looked a little bit different, but you know, in, in the broad spectrum of psychedelics, it was more like mushrooms than not like mushrooms. Like okay. for example, you take something like salvia divinorum yeah. and that's totally different. It's completely unlike anything else. I mean, there's there's no resemblance to mushrooms there whatsoever. Whereas here with San Pedro, um, very similar to mushrooms. And then also there's, um, there's a sort of sort of an adrenaline-like quality to it as well, where you feel like really perky, like oh okay, you know I'm <laughs> oh I'm awake. Whereas you know like often with mushrooms. As mushrooms start to come on, there's kind of this sleepy period yeah. that occurs. It's yeah. kind of like going into the dream where, like, most often with me with mushrooms, um, man, at first, as they're coming on, I just want to lie down. It's just yeah. like, oh, man, I just want to lie down. But I didn't feel that with um, the San Pedro, um, which, you know, kind of gives you some insights into why, like, in the Native American church, you know, where they're eating peyote, which also has mescaline that it's kind of this all night thing where and that the beats of the music like peyote music is really really fast beat and so you can kind of see how that fits with the message because there kind of is this driving energy to it and yeah i mean i started it at like 6 p.m in the evening and i didn't go to sleep until the next night. I mean, I was wow. up all night. There was no need for me to go to sleep. I was just wide awake and tripping really hard. Mm -hmm. And so that's why I just watched some nature documentaries. Like, wow, well, <laughs> what else am I going to do? It's like four in the morning here. Well, let's, I'm going to watch some birds. And Oh, man, watching naked, na nature, I almost said naked, nature, <laughs> nature documentaries was so much fun. I mean, it's so, so great now that we have these high definition yeah. Um, documentaries and where you get these beautiful environments and beautiful scenery and then the mescaline just adds to it. I mean, it's just fantastic. It's like you're right in the middle of all of it. Do the insights differ greatly from some of the other things that you've um, actually had or are they similar to mushrooms? Well, you know, to be honest, at this point, I don't really have insights on psychedelics. Oh, okay. it's, it's kind of a it's like I, I reached maximum insight. <laughs> and so now it's mostly like, look, there, there's the aspect of working with energy, mm -hmm. which is very important. And that's not based on insights. That's just based on perceptions of energy in the body. And okay, things need to release, things need to move. Um, but there's really not a lot of insights that are there for me because I've learned to recognize it's, it's all the self, it's all God. And it's just, this is all the God game playing itself out. So that for me is the ultimate insight and anything else is just kind of trying to label things or, you know, yeah. put names on and say, well, this is this and that is that. So yeah, it's kind of like my insights are sort of done in that sense that it's something that I take because I enjoy it and okay. I, I enjoy moving through the energy and working the energy. So it has a very practical nature. Um, but it's not so much about mental insights, but I will share one thing with you mm -hmm. because I think this was kind of funny. <laughs> um, 
I've been doing some personal experimentation with MDMA, generally okay. taking very high doses. Um, and um, it can get very, very visual for me. I actually want to write a paper about this because I've had so many very interesting, um, highly visual experiences on MDMA. I mean, stuff that's just off the charts, okay. visual. Um, so one night I'm lying in bed and I'm going through this, this, this uh, I would call it um, dualities okay. of kind of, so the recognition that we're all God and it's all one being, therefore love must be extended unconditionally and universally because it's all the self. And so anything that you say, oh, I don't like that or I don't love that, yeah. you're actually saying I don't love part of myself and then that becomes an internal conflict. So I'm having, I'm lying in bed got my eyes closed and listening to some music and I'm having visions of all these different kinds of people popping up in front of me and then feeling myself extend love towards that person and recognition of this is, this is a reflection of myself. This is a reflection of myself. And then much to my surprise, Hillary Clinton shows up. <laughs> I mean, there she is in her pantsuit and you know, a full detail of Hillary Clinton is like, okay, I love Hillary Clinton. Hillary Clinton is also myself. She's also part of the one, and I love her. And and that wasn't too difficult to do. I mean, I'm not a huge fan of Hillary Clinton, but yeah. uh, you know that wasn't difficult. And then, by God, it's fucking Trump <laughs> with his orange fucking hair, and there he is. There's Trump, and in the same thing where I have to experience. I love you too, man. I, t I completely love you unconditionally <laughs> and without reservation. I love you. But at the same time, recognizing I really don't like you because yeah. these are two different things. Like and love are very, very different. Um, I'm going to have to pause for just a moment. My boy oh, Jaden okay. is here. He needs me to take care of something. So I'll be right back in just okay. a moment. No problem. Okay, I'm back. So okay. just to just to complete that, you know, here, what this is an example of is that Trump is someone who challenges my ability to love unconditionally because yeah. he's so extremely detestable as mm -hmm. a person that, um, you know, he's just he's a compulsive liar, which is something that just completely yeah. turns me off. Oh. That I'm all about truth and honesty, and the man lies constantly and the way that his own ego is so fragile the way that he has to lash out at anyone who would, would criticize him is also extremely distasteful mm -hmm. to me the way he treats women is just abhorrent and the way i mean one of the things that i, I dislike most about him is how 
he always tailors what he says to the person he's talking to in the yeah, moment so that yeah. he's never speaking truthfully. He's only he's he's a manipulator. So he's trying to say, what do I need to say to convince this person that I'm right versus any concerns for truth or accuracy? So you can confront him with, well, you you said this and then he'll say, no, I didn't. It's like we have we have the recording of your <laughs> I didn't say that and then he'll try and manipulate you into thinking something that he wants you to think in the moment. So all of these things are for me especially as someone who practices with psychedelics and practices with helping people find truth within themselves mm-hmm. that all of these things are just like oh my god what a what a case this guy is. I mean he's got so many issues. He's so incredibly deluded that it's energetically it's hard me to deal with him in that capacity because he's just oh he's like the example of of the worst of the worst (laughs) case scenario he's the example of that and all of this happened before the election um so as i'm processing through the dualities of self of me versus others you know me as an individual versus others that that i mean and that was the end of the chain of others that I was experiencing in this particular session that it ended with Donald Trump of like, well, here's, here's the hardest case scenario for me to extend love and recognize that actually I do love him because I I do, I do love Trump because he is an embodiment of God, just the same as all of us are. And so we're all one and I love him because I love myself, but as a character, the character he plays is just abominable. Just, just, the man needs so much help. And so for the, in that capacity, I can actually have a great deal of sympathy for him. He needs help. He's, he's so fragile. He's so afraid, so deeply, deeply afraid and insecure that he's someone who could benefit so much Tremendously. From, from some genuine psychedelic therapy. But, but anyway, that's, that's the end of that story. Have you actually had similar experiences with other psychedelics, or is this just an MDMA phenomenon? Um, it mostly seems to be an MDMA phenomenon. I think I think it's related to the fact that it's so lovey. Yeah, you yeah. Know, that there's so much a sense of love and enjoyment within it that um, it it lends itself to uh, these kinds of dualities. You know, which I think is a good reason why it's used. Um, so much for therapy or overcoming PTSD that, and I know a lot of couples who work with MDMA to sort through their problems and things like that, or even working with therapists. Again, this is all underground because we can't do any of this legally. Um, but I definitely know a lot of people who do that and find a great deal of benefit from it because it does help extend the field of love in, in a sense. And then we can sort through the complexities of the the dual side of our relationship of being self and other while simultaneously being all that it can help us resolve these tensions and help unwind the patterns that we create for our own particular characters um so i do think that mdma lends itself to that and but i would also add that um there's a lot of others weird visual stuff that I've had go on with MDMA experientially that, that is not related to love and relationships or, or things like that. Like, like um, <laughs> okay. Well, um, just the other night I took some MDMA and, uh, um, towards the end of it, I was down in my living room and, um, 
you know, this is after I had processed through energy and things like that. So I'm just sitting there with my eyes open. And um, then there were these about three feet tall tree people (laughs) um, that kind of looked like trees like towards the end of fall like right around now where they just have a few leaves left on them yeah yeah. and so there's these tree people and they're about three feet tall and there's maybe four or five of them and each one looked different they had different kind of leaves on them and they we were kind of shaped like people but they were very flat um and they were in a garden Mm -hmm. and they were spinning around and dancing in a circle in my living room wow so I'm just sitting here watching this and it's fully rendered. You know, it's not like some vague impression. I'm just sitting here watching it like there are fucking tree people dancing around my living room. And <laughs> it's just very curious. It's like, well, where did that come from? And and so they had this garden and they had like metal sculptures in the garden that were kind of like long pieces of grass with balls on the end but they looked metallic so they were very shiny like a dark metal um you know like like gating that you might see in a garden or something like that but it was all very organic looking and there were different kinds of plants in this garden and yeah there's just these tree people spinning around you know what's that about i don't know what that's about why why am i saying tree people i don't know um other than it fits the time of year and it was actually a really windy night so you know maybe that's it that it was a windy night so you could hear the the trees rustling and you know branches knocking up against the house and things like that um but other than that that didn't have anything to do with anything it's just like wow tree people cool so you know <laughs> i watched them for a while and then eventually i got tired so like okay i'm gonna close my eyes and go to sleep and the tree people are just dancing around the living room you know what's that about i don't know let me see and it, i don't care it doesn't really matter that yeah. i just take it all kind of interesting entertainment it's like oh wow tree people okay do you think that that that's something that's interesting that I hear a lot of when people take high doses of psychedelics, they seem to always come into contact with some sort of entities. Um, do you think that it's I, I know it's far fetched or whatever, or it might sound a little crazy even. But do you think that you're possibly seeing into other dimensions like that, that this is giving you access to some sort of new plane of, you know, quote unquote reality like you're in the fourth or fifth dimension do you think that that's something that could be going on because that realness is so interesting to me is just how could it be just a hallucination if it's so real like you know does that make sense yeah well i would say that's just the power of hallucination that you know as a catch-all phrase i would use this uh, the term the divine imagination okay. that this is i don't see it as another plane of reality it's just maybe it's a we could refer to it as an you know, a certain plane of the mind mm-hmm. that when we get into, again, it's a highly energetically charged environment and the interaction between self and other and the propensity to see things right through dualistic interaction that I am the subject observing some kind of object that that's just part of the divine play of God. I mean, that's what reality is, is the vision of the universal self into self and other mm-hmm. into two and so that's a fundamental aspect of being. And I think that in this highly charged energetic state, that it's a natural unfolding because we are very visual creatures. I mean, yeah. it's sight is probably our most important sense that we have in terms of how we interact with the world. And so this is something that becomes hypercharged through the energy of the psychedelics. And um, 
it's all just other aspects of the self. And in a way, it's like God loves playing with duality to see, well, how, how, how as, as this particular self do I react to this? How do I react to this? How do I react to this? And it's a way, kind of like in dreams, it's a way for our mind to sort through things. Now, we're operating at a higher level, mm -hmm. so to speak, and therefore the content is very, very different than what we're going to encounter in our dreams. And, you know, we're, we're dealing with energies now more in the fractal, pure fractal nature so that we get these very complex visions and like, oh man, look at all the eyes on that thing and look at all the arms, you know, but th this is just a, a, an expression of the fractal nature of reality, the geometric nature of reality. Um, so I'm always of the position that no, you're not actually encountering other beings. It's all, I call it, it's just the mirror of the self okay. and that you're just seeing yourself in another form because of course God is infinite. God is all things. God is all possibilities. Mm -hmm. So within the realm of the mirror of the self, you can see yourself in any fantastic configuration, but that's what it is. It's not actually other beings, other places. I mean, so if you ask me, well, were there really tree people dancing around your living room? My answer is no, that's a product of my mind in that state, okay. you know, like, okay. So another example, this, this was several months ago where again, it was MDMA and it was after I had gone through whatever energetic processing I was going to go through for that night. And so, I, you know, I started up in the bedroom, lying on the bed, eyes closed, uh, several hours up there. And then my wife wanted to go to bed. So I changed from the bedroom down to the living room and I went and sat on the couch and this was in the middle of the season of Game of Thrones, and uh, I like to have <laughs> Game of Thrones viewing parties, so I invite a bunch of friends over, and we all watch Game of Thrones together. But anyway, so I'm sitting on the couch, kind of in the middle of the Game of Thrones season, and I just ended up looking at the TV. The TV's off. Yeah. Okay? Looking at the TV, and all of a sudden, just there on the TV screen, nowhere else, just on the TV screen, all of a sudden, I can see uh, like a whole scene, and it starts two-dimensionally, and this is one of the curious things that I've found about MDMA, that um, they tend, visions tend to start flat, two-dimensional, okay. and then if you relax into it, it suddenly gets into 3D. Wow. Um, so there's kind of a surface-to-depth phenomenon that I've observed here, and it, it tends to be very, very common in my MDMA visionary experiences. But anyway, I'm, I'm looking at the TV, and at first there's a two-dimensional rendering of a scene, and then it very quickly turns into 3D. So it's like I'm sitting there watching TV with 3D glasses on. But it's all still just on the TV. And it was like watching Game of Thrones. I mean, it wasn't particularly Game of Thrones. But it, there were sea battles and ships with sails. And they're fighting with each other. And boats are sinking. And there's a big storm and giant waves. And then there's... Uh, knights on horseback racing across the plains and armies clashing together and then there were castles and this went on for like a couple hours i'm just sitting there watching this pseudo game of thrones <laughs> and you know it's because i'm really into game of thrones it doesn't really have anything more meaning than that that i enjoy fantasy and I, I really enjoy these forms of entertainment and so i just produced that for myself it's like well, what else are you doing oh, nothing much just sitting here watching tv okay well here have some more game of thrones mm -hmm. you know and that's that's the best explanation i give for that it's not that i'm 
I'm not seeing something elsewhere. That it, it's just a product of the mind in that moment. It, that actually kind of reminds me of something you said earlier where you uh, said go towards your anxiety and you're repeating your anxieties over and over again. Um, is that what you think causes a bad trip? I mean, like, I don't want to spoil Doctor Strange for uh, anybody, but the ending is very much like a thought loop. You know, it's very much indicative of something that somebody would experience yeah. when they're having a bad trip. Um, is that have you ever experienced those sort of like bad trippy thought loops and you're stuck in these these fields of just anxiety and things like that? Uh, I haven't myself personally, but I've certainly observed that in plenty of other people. Okay. So yeah. that that is very, very common because, yeah. again, you know, often the ego wants to take the easy way out. Mm -hmm. It it doesn't want to be confronted by things it doesn't want to be confronted with. But see, the deeper self, the deeper self that is God, wants each version of itself to find peace and resolution because that makes for a happier experience for the individual. And since God is the individual, God wants to have a better experience through each individual. But within that, there can be no violation of free will because God is not going to violate its own free will because, you know, yeah. fucking, I'm God, I'm going to do whatever the <laughs> fuck I want. Don't tell me what to do. Okay, and so that's inherited by each individual, mm -hmm. um, that same kind of attitude. But that means that God, the deeper self, will present the individual self with this is what you need to face to find deeper resolution within yourself. Yeah. But it has to be the individual's choice to willingly confront that. So okay. it's like God presents the opportunity mm -hmm. and it, then it's up to the individuated self to take advantage of that opportunity and find that peace and resolution. So, so the individual can continually turn away as much as they want, but if it's, especially if it's a very important issue for that individual, yeah. it will keep coming back again and yeah. again and again. <laughs> so it's like, you're free to keep turning away, but I am also free to keep presenting you with this yeah. because this is what you need to work on. And it's all about authenticity it's all about reality see so if there's a part of reality that we're denying like uh, i don't want to face that i'm not going to deal with that yeah. la 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 <laughs> then that's what's going to keep coming back to us because that's what's saying look you're not acknowledging reality you're not acknowledging reality here's reality and some you know sometimes that reality comes in the form of demons and terror and so it's yeah. it's not it's not I don't want to confuse people to say that, yeah, there really are demons that are out there to get you. That's reality. No, it's just representational of the energy. That's what's important. The energy that, oh, something's trying to consume me and I'm terrified of that and I don't want to be consumed. That's the energy. And that it takes on different forms. It wears different masks. It presents itself to us in ways that's going to engage and activate us. Mm -hmm. And so therefore it's different for every person of what that may be. Um, but that's what it is. It's an invitation to come to a deeper level of resolution and truth within yourself and to rather than avoid the energies that make us uncomfortable, to confront them, to embody them, to let them pass through our being and then release in whatever way they need to release, screaming, laughing, crying, go to the bathroom, vomiting, having an orgasm, whatever it is. It's you know different at different times for different people and different medicines. Um, but that's the way that it works. It's by confronting it and moving through it and embracing it and then ultimately recognizing, oh, this is all me. I've created this whole thing for myself. You know, the, that's a, a, a 
big addiction of the ego is that it wants to make problems for itself. Yeah, yeah. Um, cause then it, then it, then it has an excuse to be a victim and to pity itself and to say, oh, it's all, it's all those other people's fault. It provides that excuse and that nurtures the ego in certain ways. Um, but to really recognize the self is to realize I've made all my own problems. I, I have willingly engaged in these because I've been trying to create a narrative for myself as a particular kind of individual. And so it ultimately comes back to self-responsibility that by encountering the darker aspects of ourself and making peace and resolution with them, then we take greater responsibility for ourselves. And then it becomes that much harder than to blame other people for our own unhappiness because then it's recognition that, look, I'm creating this reality for myself, mm-hmm. that I'm the one responsible um, for how I react to things. It's, it's no one else's responsibility. It's my responsibility. I'm the one who's responsible for making me happy. It's not society's responsibility. It's not those other people's responsibility. It's not my lover's responsibility. It's not my mommy. It's not my daddy. It's me. It's me because it's all me. So how do I find resolution within that? And also informs us of the limits of our control because that, that's another yeah. thing in recognizing that, look, I am God in a body. Everybody else is God in a body. That means everybody else is perfectly free to do what they want and that I don't have any right to tell them how to be or what to do because the the same freedom that I experience and responsibly within myself is true for each and every other individual on this planet. And that's why the only thing that we can really do is help other people find clarity within themselves. But we can't be trying to change other people's behavior and make them better or something or, or make them more satisfying to our own particular experience. It's like, look, the best I can do for you is to give you the freedom to be yourself the same way that I've given myself the freedom to be myself. And there that removes the ideas of blame and victimhood that it's, it's all just God doing it to itself. So how can I be the clearest embodiment of that for my own personal benefit? You've never actually had a bad, like you've never had what you would define as a bad trip though, ever? Not like really horrendously bad (laughs) where I felt totally lost and destroyed. Um, You know, the kind of the closest that I I came to uh, what might be like a bad trip is, this was many, many years ago now. This is before this is before I accepted the reality that everything was God. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I took a bunch of mushrooms. And this was down in Santa Barbara, California. Okay. Took a bunch of mushrooms and I got on my bike and I was riding out to these bluffs. And I kind of set it in my mind that I was like, okay, I'm going on a quest. And what <laughs> I want to do is I'm gonna walk out onto the bluffs and look out on the ocean and I want to see the face of God. Mm-hmm. Okay. I kind of set that as like, that's what I want to do. That this, that's what I want out of this mushroom experience. So I took these mushrooms and got on my bike. And by the time I started heading up the hill, so I parked my bike and I was walking up this trail and then I'm looking at the plants on the side of the trail and they all kind of had these mean little faces on. I was like, Oh shit, it's kind of <laughs> scary. You know? And then I get out to the bluffs and I can hardly bring myself to look out over the ocean because, you know, I've said it in my mind that I want to go see the face of God, right? Yeah. So I got there and I can barely look and I was like, oh, shit, oh, <laughs> shit. And I was like really uncomfortable. I was like, because my plan was I was just going to stay there and just like vibe into the whole thing, right? Yeah. And I was just so uncomfortable. I was like, oh, crap, oh, crap. 
I got to go home. I got to go home. And so then I'm walking back. And again, the, the faces on the plants are all like, oh, scary, scary. And I get on my back. It's like, okay, just make it home. Just make it home. You're tripping really hard, driving through traffic, driving through traffic. Yeah. And I get home. And I kind of curled up on the bed for the next few hours, just kind of waiting for the whole thing to stop. So in a sense, um, I kind of got ahead of myself in yeah. a way where I was felt that I was ready for something that I, part of me definitely wasn't ready for at the time. Mm-hmm. To Because then it was several years after that that I really had my big breakthrough of encountering God. Mm-hmm. Um, but at that point, it just it kind of spun me out to where I just wanted the mushroom trip to stop, you know, just lying on the bed. So it wasn't that it was like a horrible experience or a really bad trip, but I just made myself very uncomfortable with that and was not ready to face the truth of what I was looking for. Because of course, as we all know, what I was looking for was myself. Yeah. You know, know, look into the face of God. Well, look in your own face, man. Take a look at this. (laughs) And I just, I wasn't prepared for that, for whatever reason at that point in time. So that became challenging and difficult for me. Um, but I guess that's the closest I've had to say, quote unquote, like a bad trip or felt kind of spun out and bit off more than I could chew. I think that's the strangest thing about psychedelics, man. I mean, it's just they're all they're doing is really introducing you to who you are and they're just showing you they're essentially yeah. holding up a mirror. But it's so terrifying to see who you really are, you know, without yeah. the without the um just the facades that you've put up to appeal to society or to appeal to certain types of people or whatever like it's it's amazing to see how horrified you are of you you know you yeah. you spend however many years you spent up in you know in that body in this reality up until you took the psychedelics you know however many years 40 50 years for some people and then you still realize that you don't know who you really are yeah. And that is a frightening thing. Like that is so scary to me, man, for some reason. I mean, I'm that's why I'm, I mean, I'm glad I got to experience, you know, I got the chance to experience them um, a little bit earlier on than some people. But it it is just so interesting to me to sit back and think how people like Trump, as you mentioned earlier, could be so old and may not even still know who they are as an individual. And, yeah. and you know, may not even be close to anything remotely resembling what the truth is. And it's it's fascinating. Yeah. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's such a great gift to know who you are. And just to pick up on the terrifying part, it's it's also terrifying. I mean, that's one of the ways that the ego reacts to encountering the non-dual nature of the self is like, oh, fuck, you mean I'm God? <laughs> no, no, please don't let it be me. Because then the ego takes it on. It's like, oh, shit, I'm responsible for everything and I don't know what I'm doing. And so there, there's even a terror to encountering the full nature of the self. And also something that sometimes people come back with is then suddenly they become profoundly lonely. And it's like, oh my God, you mean there's not really anybody else here? That it's, I'm just alone. I'm alone in existence. And that's a deep existential thing to to encounter. That, Yeah. yeah, that's the truth, actually. There's billions of people here, but when it comes right down to it, we're totally alone. There isn't anybody else here. And so even that is not necessarily placating yeah. for the ego, especially for people who come from a religious perspective and like, oh, man, I just want Jesus to save me. Like, <laughs> Jesus, take the wheel. Come on, Jesus. Do it to me. And then when you realize that, oh, fuck, that's me. Yeah. So Jesus isn't going to swoop down and save me. 
I have to save myself. Then it becomes your own responsibility. And even that can be terrifying because then the ego says, well, I don't know how to do it. Oh my God. I'm not. <laughs> See, and that, that's, that's where the counter lesson comes in of, hey man, just relax. <laughs> just, just relax. There actually isn't anything to save you from. Mm-hmm. That this whole life is just a gift. It's a beautiful, fantastic, complex, terrifying, horrifying game. It's just a game. You can just relax. There's nothing you need to do. Mm-hmm. There's nothing you need to accomplish. Just relax. Be yourself. Mm-hmm. Enjoy the ride. Nothing else. You know. I, th- I think it's just so hard for us to accept that. You know, in a in a society that's told us forever that you know we need to control everything and we need to do this and you need to do that and that was one of the that was actually not even one of I think that was the first insight that I had the first time I ever did. Uh, psychedelics i think it was like two years ago three years ago um, i did lsd and that was literally the first thing that it said like when it once i started to peak it was literally relax enjoy the ride you're gonna be okay you're not doing anything wrong you know it's it's just enjoy it have fun and i think it's just so hard you know the, the word anxiety keeps coming up but it's like we all have these anxieties about what a lack of control means for our individual yeah. lives yeah. and it's it's just so hard for us to accept that hey you you can you have a, a vast amount of control in regards to how your life can go but ultimately you can only control so much when it comes to things that you don't control you know you can't right. control other people you can't control you know what trump does i i can't you know what i mean so what what's the point of even worrying about it or stressing yourself about it or you know and it's it's yeah. just so assuring and I, I think that is what it is to be enlightened i mean i was i was having a lot of um insights about christ and and buddha mm-hmm. and all of these figures mm-hmm. that was you know that would p- preach enlightenment to people and the thing that was so hard for me to wrap my head around was that enlightenment was just realizing that it's going to be okay it's not floating above tables it's not having yeah. a halo <laughs> <laughs> you know it, it's not being able to sit under a tree for 30 years it's none of that it's just literally being able to sit in the face of adversity and go it's okay it's going to be cool yeah and yeah it's fascinating i think so many people need that yeah, people want to make things more complex. That, yeah. that, you know, especially that the ego thinks, well, enlightenment means, yeah, I'm just going to be able to levitate and I'll just be above <laughs> everything. And then I'm going to transcend into the astral realm. It's like, no, man, just fucking be here. Be here. Be clear and enjoy the ride. That it, there's, it's nothing more than that. It's so simple that the, people's quest for enlightenment is actually constructing barriers into actually getting there because they have these ideas of what they think it is and what it's going to mean yeah. for them. And and religions are no help there because they present these lofty ideals and these complex metaphysics and all this crap. It's like, <laughs> no, just be here and relax. If you can do that, you've made it, okay? Because since we are all God, mm-hmm. we didn't we never left. We didn't come from anywhere. We're not going back anywhere. That that's just what we are right here, right now. Mm-hmm. And so there, and it's because it's our true nature. It's not something that we need to make. It's not yeah, something yeah. that we need to discover. It's just something we need to relax into. It's what we already are. And the problem is that through the ego, we create these artificial edifices of what yeah. we think we are. Mm-hmm. So that then we spend all this time pretending rather than being what we actually are. And that's where the real insight is, is relax, let go, 
be present, take responsibility for yourself. And that's really all that it is. Mm -hmm. But people want it to be more lofty. You know, they want it to be something transcendent and, oh, I've gone beyond. But just be here. Just learn how to be here. But it's, I don't, I just don't understand why it's so, I mean, well, I do understand it, but it's, it's always fascinated me. I mean, ever since, um, I've actually started, you know, this sort of psychedelic journey and exploring and all that stuff of just how hard it is to just be present. You know, I, I don't understand why the, why the distractions distract us so much when we even realize that they're nothing more than distractions. I mean, I guess that would just be the ego. Yeah. Just, you know. The, the creation of the individuated self is curious and fascinated by the nature of the game and the content that appears within the game. And, um, you know, we have this freedom that we can direct our mind where we want, mm-hmm. that we are free to do that. And if there's a lack of discipline and focus, then the mind easily gets pulled aside into this, that, and the other thing. And sometimes that's wonderful just to go into, you know, some kind of dream and like, oh, wow, this is fascinating to explore this. Um, But there's a greater value in really learning how to stay focused within the experience and move through it that way so that we learn how to harness the mind. Mm -hmm. Because that's where a lot of difficulties of the mind come in, where we imagine a difficulty or a problem, and then we spend all our time projecting around that when we think about what might happen and what do I need to do to encounter what might happen. That's where it becomes excessive. It becomes indulgent. So again, it's freedom, that we are free to use our mind the way that we want, and we can either direct it towards indulgence or we can direct it towards being present. So Mm -hmm. it's both have a natural quality to them, but you know when we live in a society that is built on distractions and sideshows and diversion that perhaps you know in our modern Western society, maybe we are more prone to that kind of indulgent thinking because we're presented with so much of it yeah. within our lives. Whereas, you know, if you live in a culture that's just living out in the forest and you're taking psychedelics and, you know, you're paying attention to the birds and the plants that a lot of it, you know, th- there's not a lot of diversion and it really is about learning how to live in the place that you're living in and how to be there and live in balance with that environment that there's probably less of a tendency towards that kind of thinking. But then even there, we can see in shamanic societies, there's tremendous preoccupation with witchcraft. So maybe that's where the diversion comes in is the thought of, oh, that person's using their bad juju mm-hmm. on me. And so I've got to combat that and counteract that so that – so. You know, maybe that's where it lies in the jungle is in then fear of the powerful other, whereas we tend to indulge in other kinds of diversionary thinking within our culture. We're not so much concerned about witchcraft, but we are concerned about a lot of other things. Um, so I guess, you know, we can see it pop up even there that it's a tendency of the mind to externalize problems. That person's doing that to me rather than taking responsibility for, oh, like it's all just myself. It's all (laughs) just myself. I'm going to find clarity within myself. Okay. All right. I think that'll um, do it for this one. Uh, Martin, can you give us some uh, information about projects that you have upcoming and uh, anything about books or any new uh, posts that you plan on putting out or any new artworks or anything? 
Well, I'm always making new art. So okay. if anybody wants to check out the art, just fractalimagination.com is where I put all my art and got lots of new groovy stuff okay. up there. Um, Book-wise, I'm not working on anything at the moment, but I, I will be soon. Okay. Um, but my most recent book is The Solandarian Game, an entheogenic evolution sci-fi novel, and I'm really proud of the novel. Um, okay. It's kind of kind of a speculative science fiction. Mm-hmm. takes place 150,000 years in our future where um, an artificial intelligence named Maitreya has rebuilt human society and is spreading it around okay. the galaxy. And it, it's a really fun story. I think it has all kinds of um, artificial intelligence avatars and humans <laughs> and, and 5-MeO-DMT and toads and <laughs> space stations. And it's, it's a lot of fun. I, I'm really happy with the book. Um, I've been reading chapters of it on my podcast, which is the Entheogenic Evolution podcast. I'm about halfway through the book okay. right now, um, putting out one chapter every couple of weeks, just reading that. So I'd invite people to check that out. Um, and in terms of big events, I'm going to be holding the fourth annual Exploring Psychedelics Conference here in Ashland, Oregon. And that's going to be at the very end of May in 2017. Okay. And I'm going to be updating the webpage for that soon. That's exploring-psychedelics.org and be putting out a call for papers and presenters um, fairly soon. There's been some problems with my web host, and they've completely messed up the website on the administrative end. So I'm going to have to rebuild the whole thing. Um, But I'm going to be getting on that, and that's, that's the next really big event that I have coming up. So that'll be in the late spring here in Ashland, Oregon. Okay. All right, guys, that'll do it for this one. Martin, it was always a pleasure. You know, I have to get you back on sometime. All right. It was great talking to you again. I really enjoyed the conversation. Um, Fun topics and just wonderful speaking with you. Really enjoyed it. (laughs) All right. Thank you. That'll be it, guys. Prox out.